I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. We discuss WTF is my MFA MIA, um, which is a fun way of saying we, we talk about how auth authentication and authorization systems need to be built and made resilient for distributed infrastructure. That the idea of having a single centralized auth system is actually incredibly fragile when we look at distributed and edge infrastructure or any infrastructure, because the reality we have is that everything we build has some element of distributed uh, componentry and resiliency in it. And we need to make sure that the auth systems that we use are included in that analysis. And in this podcast, we dove deep into not just how MFA works, but also how you can make it more resilient and how you can go after authentication to help build trust based on behaviors. A lot of fascinating conversations, and I know you will get a lot out of it and enjoy the discussion. The, the topic for today, um, I love the title for it, is WTF, my, my MFA is MIA. Um, <laughs> the, this, this is a, a second, a follow-up conversation from, um, I think it was when Okta was having um, their breach and we were dealing with that. And we started talking about centralized versus de decentralized security infrastructure and the risk rewards related to that. Um, and sort of the idea that we've, you know, created single sign-on potentially as a single point of failure, and yet it's it's also a really important control point. Um, and then I'm just reading through my notes from that conversation to make sure we we sort of prime the pump on this. Um, so we had we had some conversations about authentication failover for di for disaster recovery. Um, I'm sure some Facebook employees would weigh in on that one, considering. Um, their challenges a, a while back, and then uh, continuity of access. Um, I, I think I need to. We need to spin that back, and maybe that's the right part to start. Does anybody want to dive in on the challenges of centralized versus decentralized auth? Well, I'll I'll dive in just from the perspective of usability, not so much challenge. Is that? Um, uh, much of, or not, I shouldn't say much, at least a significant portion of edge discussions that I'm having uh, relate to the idea of decentralizing security auth because uh, the security authorization portion is one of the biggest components of latency associated with edge application use or environment use at the edge. So um, that doesn't necessarily, again, speak to, you know, whether one is better than the other or one is more complex to manage than the other. Um, but uh, decentralized auth, uh, you know, uh, uh, authorizations that occur near where the client is being used provide significant performance improvements over others. Are we talking truly decentralized auth or delegated auth? Oh, that's something you want to you want to create. You want to define the difference. Well, I mean, if it's truly decentralized, then each location has its own local auth. And the credentials or the validity of those credentials doesn't go beyond that area. Delegated auth would be you still have centralized auth, but you empower your edge controllers to perform the auth for you uh, with 
cache credentials, for example. And is there a timeout on the cache? Like what happens, how do you distribute that? Uh, I mean, just the way that you do LDAP, for example, right? Um, okay. Um, so yeah, there, there are, it, it's a sliding scale. Like the the longer you, you cache the credentials, the the more you can you can cache it, and, and you can do it. For example, with with, uh, with Duo, you, you can allow, um, for example, your your devices to cache the credentials for a certain time when you know you will be offline. For example, in a flight, right? Or or you can turn it off. You can turn off but, MFA temporarily as well. Uh, so the, yeah, that. Sorry, you're trying to say something. No, I, I was going to ask you about the MFA piece too, because right, MFA you can't really cache MFA by design. Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, oh, I guess that's true. If I'm using uh, synchronization codes, then I I don't need a third party. I can I can compare the the codes, right? Right. I mean, we did it. We did it for mobile. We did it on a, a timeout factor. If you didn't actually execute a transaction within five minutes of being authenticated, it timed you out, and you had to reauthenticate. And we had five-factor authentication. Did you say five-factor? Yeah, five. Five. What were what were the five? That's a trade secret. <laughs> Can you give me four? <laughs> sure. Uh. <laughs> one was one was your uh, public key, okay. which was in a QR code. One was your name. One was your uh, last four digits of your phone number. Okay. That's three. Okay. The other two I can't. That's um, or I'd have to fill you. Nose print. I mean, te- technically, the, the, <laughs> the those are not necessarily independent factors. Like when when we talk about multiple factor, it's more, it's not so much about having uh, information entered from multiple sources, but a factor, for example, single factor is something you know. Two factor is something you know plus something you have and so on and so forth. I, I I would not consider like multiple and entering two, three passwords to be the same as, as triple factor. Well, they weren't. They were embedded. One was part of your device. One was part of your information that had to be registered once and was kept with your with your keys. It was rather complicated. Suffice that there's a particular mobile phone company that uses part of that technology, which is why I can't say what it is. Makes sense. Yeah. This is what happens when you partner with somebody from the IDF. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, and that, I mean, one of the things I guess from that perspective, would you accept if you had five factors is would three be sufficient with is part of this redundancy okay no you had to have all five part was physical in the hardware part was 
as I said, I can't really discuss it, but That's suffice okay. to say, you had to have all five or it would time you out. And if you were logged out and had to re-engage, it would take almost clearing the cache of your phone to be able to get back in. It was complex and chained and required and, a lot of work to do. And local? Regional. I mean, the, regional. Like, like. Some of what Don't I forget, we're, we were doing transactions across borders before this was technology that was mainstream. So we had to meet the criteria of government. We had to meet the criteria of international roaming, uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it took a year and a half to get that part right. Yeah, I bet. By a very talented cryptographer. So it... Uh, it, it was complicated and it was purchased. So, All right, the, in, my, in my background, I, I did some physical security work, yeah. um, literally locks, lock, you know, card key lock access type of stuff. And um, the devices that, that the company I was working for sold maintained, and this was a selling feature, maintained the entire database of all card accesses in every device. But that limited you to, you know, 10,000 card card reads. And then you had the problem of synchronization and, and passing around that list. And that caused issues also. Um, and we'd been trying to move to a case where there was a a committed list and a cache list. And, and just like right, the way those systems work is the first read in a new location is fails, talks to the centralized yeah. system and then gets and then gets cached, you know, and then and then gets cached locally. So you're you're set. Um but that that fails if the big database in the sky is down. Or if we're right, that that's I think where we were going here is what what happens when you're, you know, in a in a decentralized system? What happens when that those components are down? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's um, again, I'm not nearly as enough of a security expert to have a detailed opinion on um, design of your security environment. Um, but I can say that, uh, you know, my comment about um, Edge also includes, to um, Rob's point, the notion that. Um, uh, we've come to kind of a fourth major requirement for edge. The first one, the most well-known is latency. The next one is, um, is, uh, uh, data. Um, the third one is potentially, um, uh, cost, but the fourth one, uh, cost relative to, um, to backhaul, et cetera, et cetera. And, and even the cost of backhaul from a climate impact standpoint turns out, Networking is um, the second largest um, contributor to uh, carbon um, in the world uh, after um, uh, in the in the three areas of technology uh, after data centers and compute network is the biggest um, single contributor. Um, but uh, the fourth one is, um, in my mind, is really um, uh, uh, resiliency at the edge that. Um, the more service we build for um, uh, people to depend on at the edge, or whether it's something like uh, 
um, zero deaths in the city of Austin, uh, which is something that the Autonomy Institute is chasing after. And just think about, let's just focus on that for a second. So zero deaths, um, let's say it's five years from now and zero deaths have been in place. And for the last four years and 11 months, no one's died in the city of Austin because of a traffic accident or because of you know crossing the street and getting run over or whatever. At what point is it okay to have a system down in this new scenario that might allow someone to die in the street? It becomes, it becomes untenable to allow even one death. And so whether it's making, making, enabling a Walmart to continue to work even after somebody has driven over the fiber that goes up the telephone pole across the street from the building, or it's making sure that we don't go from zero loss of life to one loss of life because of an outage, um, uh, much of what we build for, for Edge will need to be able to be 100% uh, reliable as a full service not necessarily in any one location for all apps, uh, you know, based on app design, but as a service, it needs to be 100, it will need to be 100% reliable. And that means um, being dependent on some centralized database uh, or uh, being connected back to a mothership cloud is something that uh, um, uh, brings too much risk. And, and I, this is not just for people. It's interesting. What you said made me think of this. It's also for trusting other systems. Yeah. The, the flip side of that coin is also that when, when services cannot be guaranteed to be 100% reliable, and you, you cannot do that. Like you, 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 you can try to make a system 100% reliable in a best case. But anytime you introduce a malicious actor, there's going to be some potential unreliability there. Uh, no, it, but again, the, the the other side of this coin is that um, we also need to start designing the the, the client systems, the, the the leaf nodes, to be able to uh, work resiliently when disconnected from the systems that uh, that they usually that they used to be connected so for example if i if i take my uh say my phone into into the wilderness and and i don't have cell service there i should still be able to log in uh and use gps and, and everything else I, 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 I lose part of the services that, that, that I'm using. And, and in this case, I'm just treating my, my phone as an edge device, but, but like, you get the point. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Klaus, I, I, I accept the point that you can't um, design anything for 100% reliability. Um, you can design for, you know, as close to that as, as is... Um, technologically and humanly possible, but you can't guarantee 100% reliability of, of virtually any system. Um, but that being said, um, a network as an example is um, one of the most obvious areas of opportunity for um, loss of service. And uh, if you have, um, uh, you know, uh, again, picking on a, a Walmart, a Walmart in an average town is the single biggest um, economic driver for that town as far as jobs and business are concerned. 
um, just that one store. And the idea of it being down for eight hours because somebody backhoed the fiber or a truck ran over the light pole that the fiber went up um, isn't something that's tenable. So it has to be able to operate independently. Does that mean that it doesn't have some form of, of, of batch or other services that um, can fail or can be um, uh, resynced uh, post reconnectivity to some centralized office? Not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure that that's uh, still a viable consideration, but, um, but go ahead. Yeah. Mark, I want to pull this to, to the auth question though, Yeah. because right. I, I think, I think what we're talking about is important for liability as a whole. Yep. And we've also identified a, an extra criticality from an auth perspective to me, because what, what we're doing in building like MFAs or, you know, you know uh, and, and specifically centralized MFAs here is that you could have an edge site where all of the apps, everything you've built is resilient for a network failure and nobody can log into it because the security that you've built in relied on a multi-factor authentication that is not online. Right. Um, and, or it could be, it could be that the site is all perfectly good and the MFA systems offline and you can't log into the site, even though you have local control. Um, and I was going a step further in this because I'm thinking about like, I have a ton of credentials that have no MFA at all. They're, they're, uh, you know, my cloud keys and like things that work from the command line. And, and sadly they don't have a secondary auth. It's like, Oh, here's the keys to your kingdom, right? You know, Amazon cloud can ask me, you know, for, you know, for Joanne's five factors of auth before I, I log in, but somebody on my desktop from the command line can just say, you know, EC2 delete instances and there's no second check. Right, um, right. And Speaking of, of multiple factors and Amazon, Amazon, yeah. like on, on, on their, on their uh, cloud accounts, you can only set up one MFA token. So right. if you set up, for example, uh, oh, like a, a TOTP token, you cannot add uh, a FIDO key and vice versa. And is that just them not allowing? Like, that seems like a redundancy problem. They, they won't allow it. You, you have to remove your MFA in order to add another one. <sighs> just a little nuance. Um, isn't MFA like more of a when human comes into picture, then we like start referring to MFA. But when it's machine to machine, we talk about zero trust. They work in conjunction with each other. Um, no. Why would yeah. they work in conjunction? I mean, you you can in certain machines you can create pseudo tokens. Uh, I think they work in conjunction. For example. When I log into, let's say, my AWS account, um, they might, I don't know if they, they don't do that right now, but enforce that it's this request is coming from this MAC address. So they're checking which machine it's coming from, and they're sort of translating that with who that machine belongs to or where the request comes from that often. And also throw, Another piece of like a mechanism at me, like if a 
go to your cell phone and enter this code, right? That's what that's how I understand MFA. And zero trust is where you don't trust the device, you don't trust the person who is trying to like get in, um, in who you don't trust the location. There are five or six factors in that, right? Well, uh, zero trust is different. Zero trust means that even when when you have depth in your network, you don't implicitly trust your your east and west connections. It means that that you have authorization at every level of your infrastructure. Um, machine to machine connections typically only use one factor because, again, like you, you're trying to automate things. In some cases, you you end up using KMS, which might be considered as MFA because it's again it 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 adds something you know to something or to something you add. Uh, but yeah, like comparing uh, uh, MFA and zero trust, that, that, that's apples and oranges. I'm glad you said oranges because I was about to say kumquats. That'd be crab apples and kumquats. Well, this is the season for crab apples, so you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It tickles me for some reason. It, it, the alliteration Actually, makes though, what, what I find is very interesting about this is the sync and async capabilities that we're discussing around MFA and what's going to happen in vehicles. In vehicles? Because what do you, how so? Hmm. Well, in, in my car, for example, if you go to unlock the door without the fob, because yeah. it still has one of those, um, and put the key in, it, the alarms go off. And if you get into the car and try and put the key in the ignition, more alarms go off. And it literally disables the brake, disables the gas, and disables the um, steering wheel. So imagine now, and those are all unrelated based on what you're physically trying to do to the vehicle, like start it. So imagine having all of those sequence, and, and, and this is in no particular sequence, by the way. The car defends itself. Um, it, it does the same thing if you try and, and touch a tire. Right. If you're not just putting air in, but you're trying to take the, the lug off the wheel to, to remove the tire, you actually have to enter a sequence to do it. If you don't, you're screwed. And I mean, literally, you're screwed. The car will not start, will not move, will not do anything. But in that situation, think about autonomous vehicles and think about the way technology is moving with EVs. How is that going to work? And it's the same argument with MFA. Do we now have to create systems that are both asynchronously available and synchronously available? And I think, Klaus, that was that's, part of the point that you were trying to make. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, 
more I, I I think that the point that that I was trying to make is better explained as I think these systems should be able should should be designed primarily to work in a disconnected fashion, but be able to reap the benefits of being connected. For example, an autonomous vehicle should be able to to be able to drive itself from point A to B as long as it has some data input like GPS and or its current location and, and visual or, or radar. But if it's connected to a local network that provides traffic information, then it will be able to optimize its routes. Hmm. Ooh, Pete. How? You just said you just said a car with local traffic information, right? Mm-hmm. What? I, you just opened up a whole can of trusted API interactions between cars giving traffic information and updates. You could literally have bad actors nice. in that in in the sending out telemetry data from a car, just like you could have somebody who who snips the the lines on their brake lights or right runs runs dark and the you know from a human driver perspective those are problematic um i i mean to some degree you you can mitigate it by by dealing with volume like for example taking the, the data from google maps but we, right. we we've known that like there are examples where somebody just walked around with, with devices emulating phones uh and uh just uh pretended mm-hmm. that 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 he was a car or, or, or 100 cars and, 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 and caused the redirected a, a, traffic a virtual uh, traffic jam. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, it was a researcher and he did just to prove a point. But, but yes, like the, the, the system is gameable. Uh, again, which is, why, which is why I'm saying like the, like the edge devices or, or, or the, the, the edge systems should be able to work in a disconnected manner. And that they should be they should be able yeah. to work reliably in a disconnected manner. They they can take input to to make better decisions. Whether they accept that input or not is a different question. But you you are describing something that I see coming with some security features, which is a, a degree of potential behavioral analysis as another fa- another authentication factor. Yeah. Right. This brings us back to the discussion that I brought up uh, before, like uh, blockchain or, or distributed ledger technology for, for Edge. Like yeah. a matter of codifying trust. But is it codifying trust or is it codifying intent? Why not both? Hmm? I, I agree. It should be both. I don't. Maybe I'm. I didn't follow that jump. So well, trust would be if I have a list of people who I allow in allow to exchange data or be part of my network. Intent. Where does how does intent change that? Well, if you're if the intent is to add to that list, oh. that's one thing. If the intent is to obfuscate or delete then you could be perceived as a malicious actor. There's a lot of work in, web, in the Web3 companies around not only semantic web, but also intent. 
and your intent to uh, be trusted or, or to have trust given to you, right? You want to be reliable. You want to be the upstanding citizen, so to speak. So your intention is to be good. But there are those with the intent to be bad. And so this is part of this whole new area where they're looking at AI and, and also intention management as whether you can add some level of predictability and authentication to it, if you will. Can you authentically choose, can you predictably show an intent to authenticate versus to be a malcontent? And how would you go about looking at that? Is it by past behavior? Is it in a predictability and observability sort of way? There's a lot, there's a lot that's still kind of being fleshed out about this, but intention is, is one of the next big things that we'll see. And and how you would go about doing that. I mean, I'm I'm thinking through what it would take to build that into an off in, into an auth system. Um it's an inter- it's an interesting idea, just that that well think of something simple like yeah. the the predictive that they have when you accidentally pocket dial someone or you have to con- continuously log into your phone okay. right and it'll tell you that you've pressed the wrong key or my phone does anyway um that there was a an um was your intent to actually log in or or was this just an mm. accident type of thing. It's like if you were authenticating and you got four out of the five and then stopped, what would the system do? In our case, we actually prompted for the fifth. Right. Because that's your intent. That makes sense. Right. I'm, I'm thinking about somebody who logged in to our, you know, our system, I'm, I, just simpler, it's easier for me to put it in, in, in product, my products terms, but so you log into the system, you have granted access to do work. If you have good intent, there's certain things that you're likely to do and behaviors that you're likely to have. If you have bad intent, um, you might be do you're going to be off of that reservation. You might have permission, right? The account might have permission to do things. So right. this is, it's, it's almost like a, you know, hey, you have a role, but you also have an intent profile signed with that role. And, and there's the also of, verification yeah, workflows. And, and I think this might go back to something that Sajid mentioned earlier. Um, for example, if you purchase a new phone and log in or like set up your account, you will receive a prompt on your previous phone saying, hey, Someone signed in with your credentials in, in, on, on this device. Was this you? If you say mm-hmm. yes, that, then you've proven intent. Yeah, I mean, you would you could do the same thing with we get credit. You know, I have charge verification on. You know, I see every charge that goes through for my credit cards. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of similar. Does that take away? But funny thing about that is, like, that's like trying to close the barn door, which is good. 
it, it's not going to, it's not, it's not keeping you out of the system. Um, that, well, again, that, that it's not the idea to keep someone out of the system, but it's to build a profile on the on one particular client. For example, if I go on my old phone and, and say, no, I, this was not me logging in, then this puts a red flag on the device that tried to log in. Right. So you, you've, you've declared intent that way as well. Yeah. I, I, I think it depends upon the, in how you design interactions with the system. Like, for example, I, at Visa, I worked at Visa, so I understand that a little bit better. Like when, when you swipe the card, what happens and you know, what systems it hit. And what, like it, it runs through this fraud detection um, sort of code, and which is rudimentary, but still it's kind of machine learning, what we call it today, but we didn't call it machine learning back then. It learns the behavior. Like you usually spend $50, not more than $50 um, per transaction, but today it's like 5000 I need to flag the transaction. So I think that the authorization also has to be tied to transaction, not just the act of having permission, but just each transaction as well. And that depends on the system, how the system is designed and how it's supposed to work. Um, I think there's there's a subtle distinction there, but I, I don't know if I'm able to explain it. It's not like once you're in, you can do anything, right? So you, you can be kicked out, you can be stopped from doing certain things, but you can do other things. So that I think that goes into the intent, sort of learning kind of stuff for the, by the system. Well, what what I feel like we're describing here is a a, a different approach to security, which is. Uh, and maybe this is nothing new, and I'm I'm just I haven't thought about it. Is this behavior analysis? Splunk has it. User behavior analytics. They've had it for some time. The challenge that I see is how do I effectively take action? It's great that I saw that you did something. Is it literally just me reporting? Is it me locking out the account? Is it me locking down permissions in a given account? I think that's the the bigger gray area we have yet to figure out. There's lots of systems with anomaly detection as well, like not not just Splunk, like Elasticsearch, for example. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you can you can feed metrics into it, uh, and as time passes, it will start making predictions. Uh, and and if the data falls outside of the bounds of the prediction, that's an anomaly, and you get an alert. Uh, and then, it, yeah, we can hook into those and, and, and perform actions as well. Striking me that systems, especially when we're talking about edge or distributed systems, are going to need this type of behavior embedded that, right, you're going to have to be able to say, I can't rely on a centralized authority to validate that this person is, is, is who they say they are, because I might be offline. Um, and they might have whatever credentials they need to get in, whether it's an API system in a zero trust, or if it's a two FA and they've 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 gotten in through the through my my gate. That we're gonna, especially on edge systems, we're gonna start needing some type of like, um, you know, you can walk this path. If you start veering off the path, I'm gonna raise flags and and limit your access, or I'm gonna 
right? We're going to have to have a responsive system. This, Joey, this to me is like your, your whole idea of like, if you start taking the lug knots off a car, <laughs> yep. that's, a, that's a really suspicious behavior. You know, I need to validate who you are better. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and I, I think one thing that, that, that you hit the point in is like the, the degrees of, of authentication. Like it, if a system is online and, and can, can connect to a central authentication server, then sure, it, it can grant the, the, the full range of permissions that are granted in the central system. But if the system goes offline and only has a cache of permissions, then it, it may only or it should only grant a more limited set of permissions, perhaps sufficient to bring the system back online. This or, is or to perform what, basic what you're no, I, I, I you're hitting to me what is the center of this um, challenge is that in the distributed system, what you're describing, I think, is is smart behavior. It's like, OK, I'm offline. I have a separate I have different behaviors I need to um, and treat auth differently. That's sort of the core of what we're talking about. But it also strikes me as like this this most excellent attack vector. I mean, this is what right every every heist movie is about, right? Somebody snips a line, and the system goes into open mode, fail open, or or lockdown mode, or something. And then there's a vulnerability that's exposed through that. Um, at, you know, um, you know, and they they sneak through the back door and have, have entered the the supposedly secure vault. And and that's what I'm I'm wary of in this case is that we could be like okay two FAs out, so I'm falling back to a you know permissive mode, and at that point you're you're a wire snip away from you know letting somebody walk in. I think that's where you have to do a a more refined I think authorization adaptive authorization scenario where it's okay I'm offline now I'm letting you in. But now, in essence, I'm watching you more closely to shut the door on you, in essence, in terms of what you can do if I see even the slightest thing. Uh, and, and more importantly, let's not forget that the, the third A in AAA, audit. It, like, if you log in with, with, without access to the central authentication system, it should emit an audit event. And the moment the system goes back online, it, it should send an alert. It, it might be reviewed and said, yeah, this is okay, or it's been pre-approved or, or something like that, but it should still emit said audit event. I don't disagree with the audit track. I think, I think I'm, I'm thinking of something very common now, which is you cannot share access to something like Prime, right? A channel in Prime. It's by device. So if a device goes offline and it's an edge device, it would have to have a failover and redundancy for power, for some form of connectivity, whether it's cellular or satellite or something else, you'd still be able to get that MFA to continue, right? Because it's an independent system without the centralized database. It could be in firmware. where you could do it just from a prompt. So a generator brings the system up, you have a prompt, you can enter something right there to get your credential. 
or to get some non, uh, what's the word, unhackable token that gives you part of your credential to be able to at least reboot the system or something like that. There have to be redundancies have to in be these redundancy. systems for networking. That's why everything is hackable. Well, yeah. <laughs> Except well, sharing. always hackable. Yeah. This is fascinating. I, the, the, the challenge in, in this is, is real. Um, the fun thing to me is that if we can solve this in edge cases, it will improve. Um, I think it actually, they're applicable more broadly. The use cases we're talking about are, are wide use cases, even if it's for a narrow set of initial uh, cases. Yeah, that, I think that, what we have to do yeah. is revert to the time when we didn't have internet to be able to get that mindset, to be able to do sync and async in a way that's reasonable. Uh, I'm not that pessimistic. Um, <laughs> I would say that the, the, the biggest challenge is that in, in many cases, um, not having those redundancies is good enough. Like, like for example, Netflix. Like, if like if your if your devices are offline and hasn't already cached the 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 videos that that you want to watch, well, you're, you're SOL. But it doesn't hurt the Netflix bottom line to do so, because they are at the core a content streaming service. Right. On the other hand, on a vehicle, yes, it needs to be be able to work autonomously, which is why we have such a big delay in in, in getting autonomous vehicles approved across legislatures. Well, there's also the issue of their efficacy of navigation. I mean, how many cars can you make that don't turn left? It's <laughs> uh, a good point. And certainly no. And on that us. note, I will bid you adieu for the day. Good See y'all. Crab apples. Cheers. Thank you all. <laughs> yes, and your Bye. crab apples. Okay. Bye. Ciao. Till next time. Wow. I love when we have a discussion that looks like it's going to be about something relatively simple like two-factor authentication that turns into something much more nuanced and complex. Really thinking about how do we ensure that the system's behaviors support what the users are doing and create resiliency for infrastructure more generally, because even when we're talking about edge, we're actually having a conversation that can be applied to any infrastructure at all. Uh, so a lot there would be even better to have your voice included in this podcast. Please join us at the 2030.cloud. Be, look at the schedule, pick the topics that you want and come in. We want to hear your positions and questions too. I'll see you there.
Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.